I'm on the eastern edge of the state of New Jersey in the United States of America. I'm on the North American continent, on the planet Earth, in a Milky Way galaxy, swimming in the great ocean of space. I'm safe and sound on the very edge of the Milky Way. Talking about some radio, so I'm going to have heard of. You don't like my stories? You don't like my stories? <laughs> 
Life is reduced to the common rubble of banality. War, murder, death. All the same to you as bottles of beer. And the daily business of life is a corrupt comedy. Hey, that would be a good name for this show, The Corrupt Comedy. But it's not. This is Aerial View here on thehoundnyc.com. My name is Chris T. Welcome. To 2020. Oh yeah. Has it punched you in the gut yet? Do you think it's gonna? Do you think it's gonna punch you in the gut? I wonder. I wonder what kind of year it'll be. The, the year is wide open. It could be anything. Anything could happen. Think about it. Wide open. A tabla rasa. Clean slate. Just for you and me. Oh, yeah. This is a live phone-in talk show, and the number here is in Palm Springs, believe it or not. 760-I-CALL-AV. 760-422-5528. This is uh, Strikes and Gutters 2019 Part 2, because we only got up to June last week. As I uh, listed my strikes and gutters, my hills and valleys of 2019, my ups and downs, my highs and my lows. So I want to get those done because we got up to uh, the end of June, but there is more on the plate for today. There's uh, more to get to. Much more, including an upside-down update, the first of 2020. A look ahead to the rest of 2020. We'll also get into some holiday hijinks, how I spent my holiday, perhaps how you spent your holiday, where you were, who you were with, what you got, all that crap. Someone's got to do it. Why not me? And then uh, special guest Ken Katkin constitutional scholar he uh, will join me to talk impeachment and what happens next in the impeachment Uh, 
and all about wagging the dog. Sure, why not? Uh, I haven't seen Ken Katkin in many years. I helped him move out to Chicago some years back. It might have been 1994. I hope he has a better memory about that than I do. I know I drove my uh, 87 Jeep Wagner. Uh, Wagner? Jeep Wrangler. I, I tried to combine Wagoneer and Wrangler because I had a Jeep Wagoneer as well. Hey, Jeep, if you're listening, maybe in the next vehicle, Wagner. What do you think? The Jeep Wagner. And um, I thought it would be a cool way to get out to Chicago. It was very interesting. We drove to Chicago. We only... We did it in two days. That's what I'm trying to say, if memory serves. But we had a lot of stuff. We had a truck full of stuff and Ken and some other people, and it was a whole thing. We'll talk about it when Ken gets here, but he... For the last 20 years, he's been teaching constitutional law at Chase College of Law in Northern Kentucky at Northern Kentucky University. He's also been on the college and community radio tip for low these past 36 years. WPRB, now run by Mike Lupica. No, not that one. Uh, WFMU, where I started in radio. In 1986, WNUR, WMUC, and he's currently on WAIF-FM in Cincinnati, where he hosts Trash Flow Radio every Saturday afternoon. And, uh, oh yeah, it was 1993 we went out to Chicago. He was um, going to Northwestern to study law. So we'll get into that with Ken Katkin. But I figure he's the guy to talk to about impeachment. And the Constitution. So we'll do that in uh, just a bit. But before we get there, let's uh, let's finish out 2019 in my strikes and gutters. And uh, in the in the strike column, I got one here for July, uh, which was our our July 4th and 5th garage sale. It went pretty well. I I like um, unloading stuff now. I'm 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 on that you know I'm on that mission to. I wouldn't go Marie Kondo on myself. I'm not going all full Marie Kondo, but I do want to um, get rid of crap. And, you know, sometimes, uh, as ridiculous as it sounds, I will pick up an object in the house and I will say, Does this spark joy? Hmm. Hmm. And uh, very often it doesn't spark any joy. And then I think, okay, I can get rid of this. And then sometimes I'll pick it up and, 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 and not only will it spark joy, I'll get electrocuted! And then I realize I, I picked up a live wire again. I hate when I do that. Does this spark joy? Hmm, does this spark joy? <laughs> Gotta stop doing that. But uh, we also made a few bucks, so that's good. That was July. We vacationed in the Catskills again. We stayed at this little log cabin near the Ashokan Reservoir. And we used the built-in pool as often as we possibly could. That was great. Having your own pool in the summertime when it's hot, go in the pool, float around, swim around, get on the raft. And, uh, oh, yeah. 
I like that. I think I prefer a pool at this point to a natural body of water. I hate to say that. Uh, yeah, I mean like the ocean, you know, a lake. You go in a lake, you never know what's swimming around down there. It's like there could be an abandoned town at the bottom of this thing. I, I don't know what I'm swimming over. I have no idea. And uh, so, and the ocean, you know, a million ways to die with the ocean. The undertow, shark, it could be anything. You're swimming along, shark gets you. That's it. You're dead. Or you're not dead, but it's like taking off your leg or your arm or something. I like a pool. And by the way, July, very uh, gutter-free. Not really a lot of gutters. But uh, in August, <clears throat> in terms of the strikes, and again, the strikes are the good things. They're, they're the... Uh, the hills, not the valleys. The ups, not the downs. The highs, not the lows. So we celebrated our 12th wedding anniversary in July. We went down the shore, as they say here in New Jersey. We spent the day in Asbury Park. We uh, went around. We saw so many old sites. We saw a lot of new sites, including million-dollar condos and million-and-a-half-dollar penthouse condos and all kinds of stuff. Made a side trip to Ocean Grove where we got married. That was nice. I'll always have a fond place in my heart. Down there. But pardon me if I don't want to go down there on the weekend anymore. During uh, the season, quote unquote. Because it's just like they took everybody out of Hoboken and they poured them into Asbury Park. I, I don't mean the good people out of Hoboken. I mean the ones I couldn't stand when I lived there. Uh, we also... We also uh, started with the setup weekends for this big annual party I'm involved in, sometimes called Waitstock, but it's always fun driving up there, driving up the Hudson River, going to, uh, oh, I think it's Dutchess County. I want to say Dutchess County to help set up. And good to see old friends again. I like these annual events, you know? You get together with people you haven't seen in a long time. I have a number of them on my calendar now at this point. And uh, one of these days on Aerial View, we'll do a whole show about your annual event. We'll find out what things you've been going to for years. That'll be cool. Uh, also in August, I finally get to see Stray Cats. I want to say the Stray Cats, but they don't really use the. Just Stray Cats. 40 years after they form, they uh, came out of Long Island in 1979, Massapequa. I ran into Brian Setzer back then. At a club called Spitz on Route 110 across from uh, the airport in Farmingdale. Republic Airport. I don't even know if it's there anymore, to be honest. We were taking, uh, we were taking leaks side by side at the urinals. And I said hello. Massapequa, huh? E.W. Burner? High school? I don't, I don't remember what I said to Brian Setzer. But back then I was not feeling the rockabilly. You know, I was way into the punk rock and the hardcore and the rock and roll and the hard acid rock and roll and the heavy metal and was not feeling it. But nowadays it's like flipped and reversed itself a bit. It's I, I can appreciate what they were trying to do. I can appreciate the stripped down raw rock and roll they represent. 
So we went and saw them outdoors on top, on some rooftop venue where the South Street Seaport used to be. Don't ask me. It was pretty good, though. And in the gutter column, I visited a Walmart. I regretted it immediately. I went to get one of those folding windshield sunscreens you stick in the front window of your car to keep the sun from baking the interior and destroying it. And I got it to the car. It was way too big, so I returned it. And uh, I didn't like being in the Walmart, I'll be honest with you. We also had our local supermarket close. The one, the one I used to call Smack Me. And the rumor is that we're going to get a Lidl or a Little or however you say it. Germans. We have very good produce, yeah. Ach, du liebe. Katten Himmel, you will try our produce, yeah. I still don't know what to make of that. In September, we visited old friends. We haven't seen in person in years. I would like to remember who they were. Let me see. Let me rack my brain. Who did we visit in September? <sighs> I don't know. But then we had Waitstock, and it's also known as TW 2019. Now, it's, it's based around the music of Tom Waits, but don't let that put you off if you don't like Tom Waits. That's okay. It's really just a, a loose organizing principle to throw a great party. 24-hour party starts at 6 a.m. on a Saturday, runs till 6 a.m. Sunday. And uh, people try to stay up for the entire thing. Uh, I've, I used to be able to make it through the whole thing. Now I hit the wall around 3 a.m. There's also a launch party for uh, Paper Crown Press uh, first release called Five Oceans and a Teaspoon. Great book. We uh, did that in Chelsea. I did the sound and the audio. Dennis J. Bernstein, journalist, poet, and uh, Warren Lehrer, designer, author, put the book out. And you can find it at fiveoceansandateaspoon.com. There were no gutters in August as well. We're almost done with the year. And then we'll get Ken Katkin in here to talk about impeachment, constitutional law. Uh, we uh, went to see Mark Sinis in 825 in Peekskill at Sue's Sunset House. Great venue there in Peekskill. And uh, I mentioned that back in April last week, I talked about how back in April... I traveled with my friend Jim to Memphis, where uh, Mark Sinison 825 recorded at Sun Studios. That record is out now. New album just released, CD and digital release. You can go to MarkSinis.com, M-A-R-K-S-I-N-N-I-S.com. Let me back up to September for a minute, because uh, in September I also delivered the project I've been working on since March called You Ought to Know. Adam Wade. Adam Wade is a 20-time Moth Story Slam winner. And um, we worked together. I produced his Audible original. It's out today from uh, Audible. So go to audible.com and look for You Ought to Know Adam Wade. It's uh, it's hilarious. He's a very funny man, very smart, a great storyteller. He wouldn't have won the moth all those times if he wasn't. Then he teaches storytelling as well. And I'm really proud to have been involved with that. We worked together to uh, record him at the Magnet Theater in New York and went into the studio, did uh, some bridge narration, and put it all together with some music and some sound effects. It sounds great. Get it now at audible.com. 
you want to know Adam Wade. Uh, and now, let me run out the rest of the year. Uh, in October, also saw the great Tammy Faye with her uh, Why'd You Do It show at Pangea, her tribute to the Marianne Faithful album. Everything she does is top-notch. Every time I've seen her, I've just enjoyed it immensely. Memorable shows. What a talented performer. And I can't wait to see what she does in 2020. I will let you know as soon as I find out. In the gutter column, I thought I was having... um, I thought I was dying, actually. I I thought I was having, like, uh, chest pains uh, and because of a heart attack. That was coming on. I ended up going to my doctor. My cardiologist turned out I had GERD, G-E-R-D, gastroesophageal reflux disease because of all the cheap seltzer water I was drinking during weight stock. I probably went through uh, a case of this crap. And uh, all the carbonation, it gave me GERD. GERD. Oh, Christ. You do not want that, by the way. But after some medication, I was fine. I went to the cardiologist. I got a stress test, the whole damn thing. Said, there's nothing wrong with your heart. Like, well, that's a relief. All right. We're going to get to Ken Katkin in about two minutes. Stay right here. In November, uh, Guttenberg Arts, a nonprofit arts organization that I am on the board of had a great casino night and uh, also a holiday letterpress class. You can find them at guttenbergarts.org. And we also went and visited my sister in Rhode Island for Thanksgiving. That was cool. I've really grown fond of the Ocean State over the years. We look forward to going up there now. And um, we do not look forward to coming back. This is in the gutters column because uh, on the way back, from Rhode Island on a Saturday. We thought we were being smart, but there was a predicted snowstorm that scared the shit out of everybody who ordinarily would have gone home on Sunday, and they were joining us on I-95 on Saturday. And I swear to God, I don't think we did 15 miles, above 15 miles an hour on the way back from Rhode Island. It took almost seven hours for what is usually a three-hour drive. It's got to be a better way. I think boat. Next time, we go by boat. In uh, December, this brings us up to December. We're almost done with the year. We had our uh, solstice party, a smashing success, a good time, had by all weeks of hard work, pay off handsomely. Another yearly event that uh, really helps us mark time and treasure our friends. We also uh, surprised my sister on Christmas Day. We went and saw my in-laws on Christmas Eve, and I gave my my father-in-law a new iPad, and then I engage in about a solid hour of tech support. But uh, we got up early Christmas morning, drove up to Rhode Island again, surprised my sister, didn't know she, we didn't know we were coming. So that was fantastic. And we ended up with colds. We both caught colds from my great-niece Avery. And uh, that was in the gutters column. But the final strike of the year and the biggest strike of the year is I wrapped up a solid year... Of the new Aerial View. Relaunched on Black Friday 2018. But 2019, a full year of shows. And it's available as a podcast wherever you get podcasts. Whether that's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Or uh, Spotify or Stitcher or 
wherever you happen to get your podcast. Look for Aerial View and look real good. Sometimes you'll find the old Aerial View, the one that was on WFMU, but then if you look further, you'll find the new one. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and uh, just recently Acast, which used to be Pippa. And there is an Acast app. So if you download the Acast app, you can uh, listen to Aerial View. So I'm very proud of the solid year of Aerial View. Very, very proud of thehoundnyc.com. And don't forget every Sunday new Hound Howl shows at 3 p.m. Eastern Time featuring the Hound. And uh, also crashing the Party with Mark and Miriam right there at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. And uh, James Marshall back on the air, on the radio. Whatever you call this when it's on the internet, I have no idea. All I know is I was in a Staples today. I went to get some laminating done at the Staples. And I kid you not, I go around a corner and and I see this display and it says, now broadcasting, you... And I thought it was like, it's like, what is this? And it was all this like uh, little tiny mixer with built-in sound effects. And I, I went and looked at it closer, and there was like a, a sad trombone sound effect, and there was like a audience applause sound effect, and it was it's just it was all right there in this tiny little mixer that you could actually run on batteries. And then they had microphone boom arms, and they had microphones, and it had it was a whole display of of, of the stuff you can buy so that you too can have a podcast. And I just thought, you know, this this is really, we've really arrived now. Look at this. I mean, next it'll be in the Walgreens. There'll be a kiosk that says, why not become a podcaster? And you'll just buy everything you need right there at the Walgreens as you're getting your medication, whatever medication that might be. So, uh... This show does become a podcast. It is a podcast, but I don't see it that way. It's not first a podcast. It is first a live radio show. And it is uh, right about now when uh, I am going to be checking in with Ken Katkin and giving him a call. And uh, let's see if we can get him on the air here. And again, uh, Ken Katkin has been teaching constitutional law for 20 years at Chase College of Law. Hey, uh, Ken, is that you? Yeah, hey, Chris, how are you? Good, how are you? Good to Good. talk to you a, again. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been uh, 1993. Help me do the math. 7 plus 20. 27 years. Yeah. <laughs> that was you pretty, sound the same. That was pretty pretty easy math. Um, yeah. And wasn't that in the summer? I seem to remember it was in the summertime. Yeah, because I was moving there to start law school, and uh, which would start in the fall. So it right. was like, yeah, probably August... Uh, yeah, you came out with uh, my with my wife and my my brother and my two brother in laws, and you 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 uh, we caravaned and you helped us move and everything. I should have asked you this beforehand, Ken, but you're still married, still yeah, got, yeah. Still, still got the Olivia. same wife. All right, yep, good. She's right here. Yep, yep. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> what do you know? Were you like a newlywed back then in 1993 or what? What was the deal? Probably, yeah, we got married in '92, so we'd been married more than a year by then, but relatively newlyweds. Yeah, I really enjoyed that trip. Like I was um, getting some time away. Uh, I think I had a stretch of like either joblessness or I was between jobs or something. 
And you and I probably met at WFMU, and I, I remember yeah. you saying, hey, I'm heading out to Chicago, and I was like, hey, I have friends in Chicago. I haven't seen them in a while. They used to live in Brooklyn. Maybe I'll go with you. And yeah, I remember it, it was perfect because I needed help like with loading and unloading the truck, and you were a little worried because your, your Jeep that you were driving, you didn't know if it would make it, so you wanted a caravan like with someone so in case you broke down, right. you know, there'd be someone there to help you. Yeah. So it worked that, out perfectly for both of us, and it was a fun trip. <laughs> that Jeep was a piece of garbage. It would routinely break down, and it always cost a lot of money when it did, and it finally ended up catching on fire as I came over the Pulaski Skyway, and that's when I knew this car will kill me if I don't get rid of it. So, uh, but we drove out there. I visited with Joe and Cato. Joe is now gone, you know, um, and uh, had a great time visiting them. And then I came back and discovered my girlfriend had cheated on me. See, that's the rest of the story, Ken. Oh, like I... that's like the Paul Harvey rest of the story. I missed that part. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. And we <laughs> and we went through a horrible breakup, and then she convinced me to get back together with her again, and then she dumped me. She did that thing where I dumped her. And then she convinced me she still loved me and wanted to get the back together. And then a few weeks later, she dumped me. It was perfect. It was incredible. <laughs> it was like a ninja move, you know? Yeah, uh, well, good thing you had a talk show to talk about it. I know. I, that was the good thing. And you've been on the radio all this time. I mean, not just WFMU, but I mentioned earlier uh, Princeton's radio station, WPRB, which I toured um, last year at this time. I went to see Mike Lupica down there. Who used to work at FMU and he's, yeah, he's managing a great guy. The place. Yeah, he's, he's a great, great guy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He actually is. Uh, I think his actual title is like student advisor. The students right. run the station and he advises them. Mm -hmm. uh, he says essentially, don't plug that in over there. There's not enough amperage. That's what's <laughs> meant by student advisor. He, um, uh, great guy. But you were also at WNUR. Where was WNUR? Yeah, that's it. That's in Chicago. That's at Northwestern okay. University. So while I was in law school, I was uh, on WNUR at, at Northwestern Chicago. And then uh, WMUC is in uh, College Park, Maryland. And I was there while I was working as a lawyer in Washington, D.C. And then uh, when I came to be a professor out here, I got on uh, WAIF, W-A-I-F. And I've been, I'm, I'm finishing my 20th year on WAIF now. I love the uh, call letters and I love saying WAIF, WAIF FM. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Now, now, um, just to go back to WMUC for a minute, you were doing, if I remember, the law that you were doing in uh, D.C. was like FCC law, wasn't it? Yeah, where, mainly where... FCC law and some First Amendment law that went beyond FCC law, but that's exactly right. Yeah. Now, where is the FCC right now? I feel like it's a completely denuded operation. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in some ways maybe that's good because they're not doing things like uh, – you know, busting radio stations for playing cuss words the way they used to, but but in in other ways it's probably bad because they're not doing things like protecting net neutrality the way they might have done. You know, so um, I think there's some some areas where a, a, a regulator could could do some good, but uh, right now we basically have a regulator that doesn't want to do anything good yeah. or bad. I suppose. You know, I was just talking about my strikes and gutters 2019, the second half, and in September we do this thing called weight stock, and I set up a low power FM station for the duration of the event. And people always say to me, like, aren't you worried about the FCC? And I'm like, are you kidding? They don't send people out anymore to do right. <laughs> to find this stuff. When's the last time they the FCC had guys roaming around in cars trying to triangulate a pirate radio station? Well, you it, know, I, I, I hate to say this, but um, they, it was a long time in between, but they did, they did it in Boston this year. 
Oh, well, I mean, 2019, oh. not 2020. But in 2019, they busted a pirate radio station in Boston. Well, that'll add some excitement to to next year, to this year's wait stop, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Um, but let's let's get you up to where you uh, started teaching uh, constitutional law. Yeah. At, um, at at Northern Kentucky University, which is in suburban Cincinnati. Suburban Cincinnati. Okay, because I mean, I've been to. Uh, I've been to Louisville many, many years in a row, so I'm kind of a little familiar with Northern Kentucky. But where is Cincinnati, Kentucky? Cincinnati's in Ohio. Oh, but, in Ohio. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's like New York and Hudson County, you know. So, um, yes, yeah, so Cincinnati is a is a city in Ohio, but it's on the Ohio River, and uh, directly across the Ohio River from Cincinnati, Ohio, is Northern Kentucky. And so, the the cities that are there are like uh, Newport, Kentucky, and Covington, Kentucky. And they're just like kind of located like where Hoboken and Jersey City would be located relative. Oh, to New I thought it was like this thing where there was just like two Philadelphias or three Memphises or so. I thought it was like <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cincinnati, yeah. Kentucky, and of course it's Cincinnati, <laughs> yeah. Ohio. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so uh, you're you. Is it fair to call you professor at this point? Yeah, I, I am professor. All I'm right. in fact a full professor of law with tenure at this point. Professor Katkin. Yeah. Do you have a, a tweed jacket with patches on the elbows? Do you have a pipe? Any of that? Yeah, professor I got stuff? I, I got two tweed jackets. One was thrift chopped, and I, I did put uh, 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 patches on the elbows. And the other one is one that my parents gave me that came from Brooks Brothers, so it doesn't have uh, any patches on the elbows. But oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, pipes, no, though. You know, I, 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 I have to. When, when, I, when I pass a certain age, I guess that's when I'll get into the pipe. Yeah, and when but you I want to look to... more avuncular, you're like, hey, here I am <laughs> with my pipe. Uh, I have several I can mail you. It's okay. <laughs> I haven't smoked a pipe in many, many years. It'd be cool if you like you, when you stuck it in your mouth and you blow on it, bubbles came out, like that kind of thing, just to completely puncture whatever <laughs> it is you were trying to say. But um, I wanted to talk to you because we're in a very strange place right now in this country. I mean... You, uh, you must be your head must be spinning like uh, Reagan in The Exorcist because of all of the constitutional stress tests that the current administration has uh, has fostered on us. Um, yeah. it, has the Constitution ever gone through a stretch like the last four years where people were constantly talking about it? Because there are long times when you, no one thinks about the Constitution. But I would venture to guess over the last four years, we've thought about the Constitution every day. Yeah, I, I, I certainly have. I mean, I, I'd say there have been times like that before. We had a civil war in the 1860s and uh, about different visions of the Constitution. And we, you know, before that, like, you know, it was not uncommon in the U.S. Senate for senators to literally, like, beat each other up with their canes and things like that. So we've, we've had times that were probably as, as partisan as now. And, we, and even in, the, in uh, Watergate, which I know you and I were both little kids during Watergate, but we lived through it, uh, you know, I think people talked about it a lot. But this has certainly been, yeah, a very stressful time. It's uh, a stressful time in two ways. It's a stressful time on us, but it's also stressing the Constitution, isn't it? I mean, the Constitution is being put through any number of stress tests at this point, isn't it? Like when I got on the, uh, you know, when I got on the treadmill at the doctor and he hooked all that crap up to me. I mean, is the Constitution's heart going to burst, Ken Katkin, Professor Katkin? (laughs) That's what I want to know. I don't know. I mean, I think the country will endure no matter what happens. So in that sense, I don't know that it will burst, but it's, it may be, I mean, it may suffer some permanent damage. Like, there, there may be some things that if, if Trump gets away with them, then, you know, every president will, will, will get away with them. And, you, you know, we, we, we've, we've kind of been in a period almost since World War II of um, 
the the president just grabbing more and more power and and the 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 country becoming more and more um, in a way monarchical. And I think this is just taking it to even more of an extreme. But um, you know, I guess I don't think the country. I don't think we're. The, I don't think we're going to have a. Um, uh, anarchy or anything like that. I don't think we're going to have the government collapse, but I think we're losing our democracy for sure. Well, even up to and including yesterday with the uh, drone strike. Uh, yeah, which right. is blatantly illegal, and uh, you're not really hearing that perspective in a lot of the media reporting of it. They blew up this very, very bad man. Uh, and now all the talk is about um, what the blowback is going to be from this, right? So, yeah. and, and Nancy Pelosi was saying essentially that, you know, he did not have the power to do this. This was not something, you know, he's essentially starting a war. Yeah. And right. so what Congress is the... has not declared war. We're not at war with Iran. And uh, Trump did essentially just start a war. So what does the Constitution say about that? Well, how is he, how is he us- usurped uh, Congress in this case? And 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 who who is his lawyer? Who's telling beyond Rudy Giuliani? Who yeah. is whispering in his ear, going, "Do it, it's okay." Yeah, I don't think he's talking to too many real uh, lawyers. But you know, with war powers, the, the Constitution th- that is probably the most um, one of the most poorly written parts of the Constitution because war. Um, you know, Congress has a whole bunch of war powers. Congress has the power to declare war. Congress has the power to raise and support armies. Congress has the power to make rules for governing the armies, all that. But but the president is the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. And so you do have some some overlap there where I think that the Constitution creates some ambiguities about, well, what, what can the president do as the commander-in-chief versus what does he need um, uh, um, Congress to authorize? Uh, back in back in the 70s, at the end of the Vietnam War, the the Congress did enact a statute called the War Powers Resolution, and they enacted it over President Nixon's veto. So they enacted it with a two-thirds override, and uh, that that statute lays out some specific rules and makes it illegal for a president to send uh, troops into foreign hostilities without congressional authorization, um, except in certain limited circumstances, like an immediate response if the U.S. is attacked first. Um, so. I would say that um, uh, it was a clear violation of the War Powers Resolution for President Trump to um, initiate these hostilities yesterday, and therefore a, a crime. But there's really almost no way to enforce that. And, there, and the War Powers Resolution, courts have always um, taken the position that they won't enforce it. So, well, let me pretend I'm in your class for a minute, because I'm going to try to remember. We have three branches of government, right? And they're supposed to be co-equal. Yeah. The judicial branch, uh, namely the Supreme Court. Uh, the legislative branch, Congress that sets laws, and uh, the executive branch, the president. Right now, these are supposed to be co-equal, meaning they're supposed to uh, check and balance each other. That is not happening now, is it? I mean, aren't we, because of the Federalist Society, in a situation where the Supreme Court is now packed uh, with ideologues on the the right who are going to sign off on anything this president does? Isn't that the worry? Yeah, it's certainly been looking that way. Um, now, I think there are some um, differences among the, the five conservatives on the on the court, and I think you know you've got a few of them who seem absolutely willing to just rubber stamp anything that Trump did, and and you know maybe most of them. But you you also have Chief Justice Roberts who has this interesting role now because he's the swing vote, and although I think he's also a conservative ideologue, 
he's not a Trump appointee. You know, he was appointed by um, President G.W. Bush, and uh, and I think he plays a longer game sometimes than some of the other conservatives. So Roberts will sometimes vote um, with the with the with the Democratic justices on some issues, but I think on an issue like war, it's been the the court the court's consistent um, policy has been not to intervene in decisions about war and peace, and uh, I would not expect them to get involved in that. On impeachment, interestingly, you know, the previous two impeachments, the Nixon impeachment and the Clinton impeachment, both had matters go to the Supreme Court, and in, in both cases, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously against the president, um, and, uh, and that included in both cases some justices that were appointed by the presidents that they were ruling against. So, you know, maybe we can be a little bit optimistic that if push really came to shove, the Supreme Court would do the right thing here. They they did they did rule unanimously against presidents who who tried to obstruct each of the two prior uh, impeachments. Well, Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. gets us into a conversation about impeachment because he would be presiding over any impeachment trial in the Senate. And uh, the other day, he issued this uh, year-end report on the state of the federal judiciary, and he essentially it seemed people reading between the lines felt he was addressing the president himself, essentially saying that we should, he said, quote, we should reflect on our duty to judge without fear or favor, deciding each matter with humility, integrity, and dispatch. Now, Donald Trump has none of those things. He, he, no humility, no integrity. Certainly, maybe he has dispatch. I, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> uh, because he certainly acts rashly. But he also said, quote, as the new year begins and we turn to the task before us, we should each resolve to do our best to maintain the public's trust that we are faithfully discharging our solemn obligation to equal justice under the law. So are you reassured by that? A little bit. I mean, the, the problem, I think, with um, Roberts uh, in terms of presiding over the impeachment is um, I, I think I'm reassured enough that Roberts will follow the Senate's rules um, fairly and neutrally in terms of how he conducts the impeachment trial. The problem is that the Senate gets to make those rules. So before, before Roberts is ever put in the chair and asked to make rulings on particular motions, um, the Senate is going to have to pass rules to govern the proceedings. And that's, what, that's what's been slowing things up right now, because uh, McConnell has said that he, Senator McConnell, majority leader in the Senate, wants to pass rules that will not allow um, for um, witnesses to be called or for subpoenas to be issued. And because, because uh, Senator Schumer has not agreed to that, um, the House, Nancy Pelosi, has, has, has delayed sending the impeachment over. But ultimately, whatever rules the Senate passes, um, Roberts is probably going to enforce those fairly. But if, they, if it's McConnell's version of the rules, then that's it. That's, that's what he's going to enforce, I think. What a worm, huh, that McConnell. Just yeah, a total yeah. worm. And when history, uh, when, when the history books are written about this period in American life and why it went so horribly off the rails. He will be a major player. He will be way up there in terms of his ability to gum up the works and uh, to be a complete lickspittle for tax breaks and uh, stuffing the federal judiciary with right-wing judges and uh, what else did they want? Oh, yeah, th that's basically it. Really? Yep. Was there anything else? I think that's it. Uh, rolling back... Uh, uh, oh, regulations. And, yeah, right. rolling back the rights of, of gay people, I think. Well, but, and regulations, yeah. I just read today now that uh, when they put in a new highway or, you know, infrastructure week finally rolls around, they won't have to take into account um, any effects on climate change, any worsening right. of climate change. So that that's the kind of thing 
that Mitch McConnell and his ilk and all those uh, schmucks that uh, spoke at the impeachment trial in the House, the ones who got up and yelled and screamed about the process. You know, I said this before, I'll say it again. They reminded me of George C. Scott in Dr. Strangelove when he's complaining to the president and played by Peter Sells, and he's, you know, because the Russians coming in, he's like, they'll see the big board, but they'll see the big board. And all these Republicans just got up and complained about how this was all so unfair, and none of them addressed the criminality at the center of all of this. And so now I'm asking you, Professor Katkin, please address the criminality at the center of all this. Oh, there's tremendous criminality at the center of all this. In fact, the articles of impeachment really only scratch the surface in terms of the lowest hanging fruit that's the easiest to prove out. But the, uh, um, you know, it's so the, the articles of impeachment primarily address uh, President Trump's role in trying to extort the president of the Ukraine uh, into um, pretending to launch investigations of Joe Biden and his son um, in order to obtain desperately needed military aid that the U.S. Congress had already appropriated and the U.S. Pentagon had already signed off on the release of. Um, so, so, I mean, the extortion itself is criminal. In fact, even without the extortion, the, the failure to release the funds violates a statute called the, um, the Non-Impoundment Act. So it's already, I don't know, I don't know if that's technically a, a, a crime, but it's a violation of law, uh, maybe a civil violation rather than a criminal violation. Not to uh, not to release the funds, and when when tied to the extortion of a foreign president, that's certainly a crime. And then there's a tremendous amount of obstruction of Congress and of justice uh, involved in the cover-up. So, right there, there's a lot of criminality, um, and I think all of that is tied to the underlying criminality of the Russian interference in the 2016 election. Because even though the articles of impeachment don't don't really tie these two stories together, it seems most likely that what um, Rudy Giuliani was doing in Ukraine in the first place, um, when he happened to stumble across the fact that Hunter Biden uh, uh, worked for Burisma, was he was trying to, um, you know, plant phony evidence to to suggest that it was really the Ukrainians who'd interfered with the 2016 election rather than the Russians. Um, And so I think that's all related to the original um, complicity between the Trump campaign and and Russian intelligence in the interference in our 2016 election. You know, if anyone at Netflix or HBO or even, hell, uh, Prime, Amazon Prime, Hulu is listening, because I know you have lots and lots of money and you want to do TV shows. You know, it's peak TV, Professor. And uh, I have a great idea. Time travel some founding fathers to, like, right now. You know, yeah. all these guys that, ke- that, that kept mentioning the founding fathers during what we l- saw in the house, Right. Uh, find some, you know, put him in a time machine. This is a premise for a TV show, right? (laughs) Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, uh, whoever the hell you want, John Adams, uh, Samuel Adams. Uh, He could have a six pack with him. I don't care. Uh, You know, put them all in a capsule. Somehow they time travel to now. And, you know, in a really inappropriate uh, part of this program, one of them brings like slaves along and you're like, oh yeah, the founding fathers had slaves. I kind of forget that all the time. But they sit around and go, what the hell are you people, you know, first of all, they freak out over iPhones and all that other stuff. But then, <laughs> but then they look at what's going on and they, they were like, what are you, what are you doing? What you, what's going on here? This, we never intended any of this. How, how are you possibly interpreting things this way? Now, this is where I ask you to explain, you know, an originalist and, yeah. and, and what exactly that is. 
And what's the opposite of an originalist? Because an originalist says the Constitution you interpret as it was written, and then the opposite of originalists basically say, and I think they're called flexitarians, but you can correct me. <laughs> you're, the, you're the professor. But they basically say, no, it's a living, breathing document. Yeah, I, no, I don't think um, uh, right. So the, the living consti- living constitutionalism, I suppose that's the living constitution is a phrase that comes from Oliver Wendell Holmes, and uh, that that would be, I suppose, what you could put in contrast to originalism. Originalism is not a real it's not a real method of interpretation at all, though. It's not something that it's not something that, that lawyers would really recognize as legitimate. It's it's more political rhetoric because the thing is the, the kind of people who will claim originalism. They they don't do serious history. They just kind of go by mythology about you know what they in their in their imagined um, fairy tale world where the framers all agreed with the things that they now think. You know they say well, it's just a rhetorical strategy really to say well the, the the framers or the founding fathers would have seen things the way I do and therefore I'm I'm an originalist. You know it's it's not based on any real study of history. But I will say this about the the, the founding fathers. They the one thing that they thought was. Um, a very serious concern um, that, that would justify impeachment that we know um, would be um, conspiring with foreign governments, right? They actually, they did actually indict and, and, and end up convicting uh, Aaron Burr, who was the um, uh, Thomas Jefferson's vice president for treason. Um, and, and, uh, um, uh, and, then, and then, of course, Burr got in a duel with Alexander Hamilton also. Yeah, in, Burr, in Weehawken, where I'm now Weehawken. sitting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, your your yeah. own your own your own hometown oh. gets tied into. Oh my this. God! They well, put but, a they put a horrible statue at the waterfront of those two idiots shooting each other, yeah. and and I said to my wife when I saw it, look, there's a monument to gun violence right here on the on the <laughs> Weehawken waterfront. This is great. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. So what were you saying? No, no, that's fine. I mean, actually, I was going to say the same. When I was a student at Princeton University, there's still a building there named uh, Aaron Burr Hall, and I found it kind of amazing that they uh, named a hall after somebody who not only shot and killed Alexander Hamilton, but also who um, had actually traveled out to what's now Utah to conspire um, with the with the Spanish about setting up a, um, a a kind of Spanish puppet state out there in the Southwest that could be with Burr in charge that could then be used to uh, attack the United States. So, so some you know some of our we had early early framers who were more Trump-like, I guess, than we were imagining because I think Aaron Burr was up to some kind of Trump-like stuff. But but they uh, but he was tried for treason for all that. This is where I want to ask about the origins of impeachment, because during the Constitutional Convention, they were going back and forth. And, and wasn't the foreign entanglement thing the real impetus to put an impeachment clause, which goes back, from my understanding, to like uh, to, to feudal times, right? I mean, you couldn't impeach a king, but you could impeach people around a king. You could remove them, right? The king is unimpeachable. But impeachment came about because we have to remove some of these really corrupt people surrounding the king, and we don't have a mechanism to do that. And during the Constitutional Convention, who was it that brought up the idea of, like, we need a mechanism to get a president out of office if, and specifically if they become entangled with a foreign government? Yeah, it was, it was Madison. And in fact, in Madison's original draft, it would have been even easier to impeach and remove because the the first draft of the Constitution would have allowed impeachment and removal not only for um, uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, but also for maladministration. Um, but then they debated that, and George Washington somewhat opposed that. He thought 
that that would kind of politicize the impeachment process too much because you could always accuse somebody of maladministration, and they, they backed it out to high crimes and misdemeanors. But they, they thought all along that a president is not a king, that the president is subject to the law, and uh, it's the government of laws, not of, not of men. And so you couldn't have people above the law, and there had to be a way to remove somebody who, who wouldn't follow the law. Well, um, George Washington was six foot four, and now when I picture him, I picture him as played by David Morse, you know, in that <laughs> in that John Adams miniseries. And would he have loomed over James Madison and be like, "Take this maladministration thing out"? No way, no way, we're not doing this. No way. And Madison is like, "No, yeah, we're doing it." And he's like, "Yeah," because it, you know, George Washington, six foot four, he comes yeah. and looms over you. You're like, "Okay, all right, I'll take it out." But we're, yeah, leaving, I, we're leaving in this other thing. And this is the part that kills me. Donald Trump so clearly tried to enlist the president of a foreign government to investigate his political rivals. Like, we have all this evidence now, and we keep yeah. hearing about how there's no evidence, yet we have firsthand evidence that he did this, right? We oh, all know yeah. he did it. He knows he did it. The Republicans know he did it. and And it'll be like robbing a bank in broad daylight while the cops are in front of the bank and basically getting away with it. Because he's going to get away with this, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he did it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It's already proved out. I don't know how many people testified. I guess uh, Ambassador Sondland testified that he, that he did it. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman testified that he did it. Uh, Deputy National Security Advisor Fiona Hill um, Ambassador Bill Taylor, they all testified that he did that. And also, although Mick Mulvaney didn't testify, um, he said so in a press conference um, that, that they did that. So, I think you uh, mean the deep state is what you mean. We could sum them all up by calling them the yeah, deep yeah. state. Yeah. <laughs> and there's not a single, nobody who could say that it wasn't true was willing to testify. So all of the evidence runs uh, one way. Um, so it's, it's, it's proved to any legal standard of proof. But yeah, he, he will get away with it in terms of... Um, the, he's not going to be removed by a two-thirds vote of the Senate. No, but but he but he may not get away with it in terms of. Um, hopefully, he will not be reelected, and uh, and history will be written uh, accurately. And so, in that sense, um, you know, he may not get away with it. Well, our our TV show that we're going to sell to Netflix or whoever about the founding fathers uh, traveling through time to now. Uh, what would be a good title for this? By the way, uh, I'm thinking <laughs> floundling, floundling fathers, something. You know, playing off of founding, I I don't know, uh, but would they have recognized this complete uh, lack of any agreement on the facts of anything now? Because back in their time, you know, you had the press, and the and the press would come out. There would be papers that would put out things. Uh, some would be scurrilous, and and on one side, and some on the other. But did they eventually? agree on a common set of facts or did they have their own set of facts like now it's hard to know you know i think the media in the early american republic was fairly partisan like it seems to us now and that you and i who grew up in the 70s and and 60s and 80s that was actually a time in this country when the media was more um more nonpartisan. i would say and where there was more agreed upon reality. A lot of that had to do with FCC regulation and with just a small number of um, uh, sources like national TV network news that people could get news from. But in the early days of the Republic, there, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of small newspapers that were pretty partisan and pretty scurrilous. Um, you had a lot fewer people voting in those days, too, so there was, it was a much smaller electorate. And um, you, have, you had a lot more illiteracy. I mean, not many people are going to be 
reading the yeah. paper as well. But, I mean, it's interesting you say the 70s because I think, of course, of Watergate. Um, and I think of how the press really carried that moment forward and we trusted what yeah. they said. And I think the thing, the most egregious thing that, that Donald Trump and, and his minions have done is this all-out assault, assault on the truth and what the truth is. Like we, you know, the whole, that phrase fake news is a brilliant phrase because you, you just have to throw it at something and, and it just negates it. As far as 51 million people in this country are concerned or somewhere around there, uh, you know, 77,000 people in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Ohio in this case. But, yeah. um, you know, I, that all-out assault on the truth, will that carry over into this impeachment trial? Do you predict that what we're going to see is is more of what we saw in the House? You mean the, the straight partisan divide? Yes. Yeah, I mean, pr- probably. Uh, you know, there there may be... I mean, I suppose one of the things that is, is kind of happening behind closed doors right now that we can't really see is that there may be as many as three or four or five Republican senators um, who are not uh, completely on board with um, uh, making a farce of the Senate trial. Um, so... It's, it's really, that's all kind of invisible to us right now. But either way, I think, you know, the, certainly the majority, the majority of the Republican senators, um, you know, will basically try to, um, the large majority of the Republican senators will probably try to have no witnesses called, no subpoenas issued, no evidence presented, and just vote as quickly as they can to... Well, um, this is quit. where I hope Donald Trump again shoots himself in the foot by insisting that there be witnesses who could talk yeah. about how it was a perfect call. And meanwhile, McConnell's over there saying, listen, schmuck, you don't want to do that. You, you right. do not want to do that. You do not want to open the door to witnesses to this thing. Just listen to me. And, you know, Donald Trump's ego has led him astray many, many times as hubris. You think it might lead him astray this time? Well, I, I agree with you that um, his instincts might be might lead him astray, but I don't really know that McConnell's going to roll over for that. I think I think McConnell's interested not only in give Trump what he wants, but in protecting all the Senate Republicans. And I think the Senate Republicans, um, the, the 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 way they can get through this is by making it go away, and that nothing nothing that's going to um, you know create more of a process here is really going to be good for Senate Republicans politically. And uh, I think that's kind of where McConnell's going to keep his eye on the ball. The only thing will be whether he can keep all 53. And he can afford to lose uh, maybe two or three of them, but um, he, he needs to keep at least 50 of his 53 senators um, in line with his thinking on it um, in order to make these rules. Uh, Professor Ken Katkin is with me. we got about a minute left. And I just want to ask before we part ways, and believe me, I'd like to have you back again if you're amenable, but... Have you read all 85 of the Federalist uh, papers? Oh, I have read them all, but it's it's been a while since I've read, you know, since I did that. So I refer to them from time to time, but, you know, probably back when I was in law school um, 25 years ago would be about the last time that I read them all. Would I get any enjoyment out of reading them? I've been, I've been thinking I might like to read them. Are they in one publication? Oh, yeah, actually, yeah. and they're not that long. I mean, okay. you get them... You know, these are all written as newspaper editorials. I think you would get some enjoyment out of it because right. most most of them are only you know two pages long a piece. A few of them are longer, but but in their day they were published as newspaper editorials. And you could probably find a nice paperback edition where you know it would only be about two hundred pages or something. Well, I really appreciate your time, Ken Katkin, who can be heard on uh, Wave FM every Saturday. What time is your show? 
Uh, three till five. Sadly, I'm up against Todd Afonic. Todd, and I know a lot of your listeners probably like to listen to him, but I, uh, I'm on at the same time. Three till five on Saturdays. Right. You got archives? People I do got archives, yeah. All right. It's a joy to speak to you. And listen, uh, let's talk again, because I feel like yep. there's more, and especially once yep. this thing gets underway, there's more to talk about. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, I'm going to turn it back over to replays of Vintage Hound shows, and on Sundays, don't forget, new Hound Howls, and then followed at, uh, that's at 3 p.m. at 5 p.m. by Crash in the Party. And friends, thank you for joining me here on Aerial View.